Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Graduation is a sweet occasion, but finding the perfect gift can be a bitter struggle. MMS.com has a solution. Personalized M&Ms. Just imagine the look on your grad's face when they receive a custom candy creation featuring their school's colors, name, and even their photo printed right on some M&Ms. It's a thoughtful way to celebrate their accomplishments and make the occasion even more special. Visit MMS.com to create your own personalized gifts and party favors for graduations, weddings, birthdays, and more. That's MMS.com. Use code WONDERY to receive 15% off your next order. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. 
It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week, we come to you from Amman, Jordan. In the interest of full disclosure, I have to talk about my next guest with a little bit of background. Um, I've known him for more than 20 years. I've been coming to Jordan for more than 20 years. And uh, when I first came here, I was doing a piece uh, for the Travel Channel. And uh, we had a pretty, good, pretty big crew here, and I needed a helicopter. I needed help. I needed guidance, and he gave it. We became very good friends. He then was the Minister of Tourism. He then went on to uh, basically develop Aqaba as a major business center, not just a vacation destination. He's an advisor to His Majesty, the King of Jordan. And he now has the distinction of being the mayor of Amman. My good friend, His Excellency Akhil Baltaji, welcome, sir. Thank you, Peter, and uh, welcome uh, back home. <laughs> it's home. It is for me. I, 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 that's uh, the interest, other interest of uh, full disclosure. I do feel home here, and, and, and what's crazy about it is, and it's, it brings up our first topic, and, you know, so many of my friends, people who I believe to be educated, cultured, smart, traveled, they're always asking me, because they always can ask me this question, where are you going, where are you coming back from? When I ever tell them that, they go, really? It's safe? Um, and, you know, there's a great fear factor about this region. I understand why. You understand why. Um, and yet, when I drag my friends, and you know I've done this before, I drag them kicking and screaming to Jordan using a large strength, and, you know, industrial strength spatula. I get them on the plane. I get them here. Within 24 hours, they're having a great time because they couldn't believe it was so great. But it's perception. This is a perception-based industry travel. And the perception right now is the entire region is, is unstable. It reminds me when you were here in the uh, year 2000 and uh, Secretary Baker and his family, entire family were here on a, a friend's meeting and uh, they were downtown and the people back home uh, said, Baker in Amman at this time? And the answer was, if uh, Peter Greenberg uh, is in Amman, uh, why not? <laughs> Uh, so you, you, you are a sign of uh, not only goodwill, but uh, a good destination, a safe destination, because I think that's exactly what you do, and uh, that's what you provide for your uh, um, audience although and listeners. I, although I will tell you this, my job is really not to promote travel. My job is not to advertise or sell it. It's to present it, to let people know they can, have, they can make intelligent choices about where they want to go and what they want to do. So I'm not out there flying a flag or, or, or cheerleading. I'm just letting them know that, yeah, it's okay to come. Um, by the same token, uh, Jordan has its share of problems, not ma many of its own, of its own doing. I mean, the fourth largest city you have right now is Syrian refugees. Yeah. Um, you know, let's take a look at where you are geopolitically. You know, you're, you're in a pretty tough neighborhood. Well, uh, this is a safe haven, has been. Uh, throughout the years, throughout the centuries, if you go through our history, uh, you will find that, that people have always come to this part of the world, this part of the Holy Land, for refuge. Particularly lately, in the last hundred years, you know, the creation of the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan, a princedom, and back in the last century, in the 20, 
1923 on, but later on, in 48, accommodating a lot of the Palestinians. And uh, then in the uh, year 1990 on, a lot of Iraqis, uh, 1.5 million at one point. And, uh, and prior to that, uh, when Saddam Hussein uh, barged into Kuwait, a half a million Jordanians uh, fled back home. So that was another uh, kind of wave of emigration. And uh, then on, on and on, and now the uh, uh, Syrian uh, refugees and uh, finding uh, Jordan not as just a, a neighbor, but a, a, a brotherly uh, country and uh, our arms and homes uh, are open uh, for them. Uh, it has created issues, problems, uh, impact, and I'm glad that the world community is getting more and more aware of, of, of this, uh, Peter. Uh, and you will, uh, throughout you know, your, your stay here, and you'll, you'll see that you'll probably hear a Syrian accent here, an Iraqi accent there, a Yemeni, Lib and, and Libyan even, uh, plus the Egyptians, who, who make a, a good uh, number of people, but they're workers here. They're, they're I, mean, I mean, to put things in perspective, not until recently. I remember Gulf War I uh, landing in Amman and seeing on the runway all the old Iraqi air jets that were flown here, and everybody just got off the plane and ran. Yeah, uh, and, the, and, the, and those planes stayed on that runway out there at the airport for years. years. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you kept on reminding us. Of, I did. Why I don't said, they fly? Yeah, no, why don't you just get rid of them? <laughs> <laughs> they were the old 727s. Well, they, they, they were getting rid of, uh, sold scrap. Yeah. So that, that's yeah. uh, how it was. And, by the way, you have a new airport within the last three years. I mean, that's that's a big change, too. A, a, a great airport. And a, it's a, a PPP. It's a private-public uh, uh, partnership uh, project. It has proven to be uh, right. Uh, the government is making money. Uh, the uh, passengers and customers are getting a much, much better service. Uh, the uh, investors are also making money, and that's uh, free enterprise. Plus your airline, Royal Jordanian. When I first flew Royal Jordanian, they had a couple of old Airbuses. They had Lockheed L-1011s. They had the TriStars. Now you've got, uh, you did. Come on. You Those did. were from Burbanks, uh, Peter. <laughs> from Lockheed were, and Burbank, were, that's right. Yeah, they were, the, they were the best in the sky in those days. Remember in fact, King Hussein used to fly yeah. that 1011. Yeah, remember the cockpit? Yeah. Uh, that cockpit was close to... Uh, that was luxurious. It was a suite. Right. Yeah. Oh, my God. But again, uh, Royal Jordanian is still flying, and now the uh, Dreamliner, the 787, and I hope you took that from uh, I New did, York. I did, yeah. yeah. Great, a great flight. But the bottom line is, you still, uh, your numbers are still down. And I'm one of those people who says the following, that the best time to go to a destination, with exceedingly few exceptions, is either after a natural disaster, uh, a civil disturbance, or an act of ter political terrorism or, or violence. Because that's when they need to see you the most. That's when they are most open to welcome you. You'll have the best service. You'll have the best experience and you won't spend a lot of money. Jordan, for me, has been that way for 20 years. You know, Peter, uh, at one point you told me what your mother taught you or told you, to stay interested and not interesting. You know, uh, people, if people are interested in a destination, they'll find a way, they'll find an excuse, they'll come out and help. We want people to be interested in this part of the world, to learn more about it, 
like you have done uh, years and, and years over and again. And uh, so maybe the numbers are down, but this is a, a chance for us to, to reach out and seek and say, folks, come and see what we're going through. See how we can accommodate people in distress. And also to our American friends, uh, see where your uh, income tax money uh, is spent because a lot of it is spent on schools, on hospitals. That's USAID. Or USAID. And, and we're, we're proud of that. So come and be interested in what you do overseas to people who are in need and in distress and people who have kept the word to fight terror no matter where it is. From day one, 9-11 was the alert that we joined forces. Toto? Feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. In the interest of full disclosure, this is one of those shows where almost every guest I have to say, in the interest of full disclosure, I know this guy. Um, we've hung out together for a number of years. He has probably one of the better jobs in the world. Oh. Well, he does. He's the director of the Royal Automobile Museum, among many other things. His name, Raja Gargur. Hello, Raja. Hello. How are you, Peter? Nice seeing you again. You know, when you come to this part of the world, in all, I mean, in all candor, you don't necessarily think of a Royal Automobile Museum, and yet you've got a good one. We have a very nice one. In fact, King Hussein, His Majesty, the late Majesty King Hussein, used to be a great car buff, and he started uh, practically racing in Jordan since the mid-50s. Road rallies. Uh, road rallies, uh, hill climbs, uh, uh, speed tests. Uh, he started single-handedly all the rallying and racing in Jordan, and we now reached the World Rally Championship as a, as a venue, as an international venue. So it all started in the mid-50s. Well, I remember the current king, King Abdullah II, when he was prince, he was doing all the road rallies too. Yeah, he sure was. He won the championship in 86 and 88. So what's in the museum? Because if you take a look at a, a, a car museum in the United States, you know, we have certain museums like at uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. They have all the Air Force Ones. Um, there are other museums that have all the presidential limos, all the, yeah. all the cars that took the presidents. I'm sure you have that too. Well, we have, uh, the, there are, the automobile museum basically shows the, all the cars that, uh, that saw the events that happened in Jordan since the 20s and 30s. Uh, most of it, while most of it is King Hussein's, uh, of, of course, the uh, automotive history and the history of Jordan are, are, uh, are parallel since the early 1900s. So the first car, for example, the first car that was seen around was the armored Rolls-Royce of the Great Arab Revolt. So we start the museum with the Great Arab Revolt. That must be one heavy car. It is a, quite a heavy car. It's an armored Rolls-Royce replica. It's a tank that has gold plating. Yeah, yeah <laughs> just, just, just about. And you can't see out of it. Or, um, and from there on, we have 100 years of the automotive history, which also parallels George, uh, the history of Jordan and the progress we had in Jordan the last 100 years. i got to go back to the armor-plated Rolls-Royce. Sure. What year is that? It's in 1916. Wow. Did they even know about armor plating back then? Well, the, the, the British War Office uh, started armoring uh, these Rolls-Royces for, the, for, the, for World War I, and a few of these cars ended up in, in Jordan with the British forces. 
They drove them to Jordan. They were in Egypt, yes, uh, headquartered in Egypt, and they joined in the Great Arab Revolt, as you've seen from Lawrence of Arabia, the movie. Uh, these cars were seen around, running around the desert in Wadi Rum. I, I'm just trying to imagine a Rolls Royce running around in the desert yeah. on those kinds of roads. Yeah, yeah. The the Silver Ghosts were the the best cars ever made of, at that at that at that era. So so the British War Office thought that they are the best chassis to put armored bodies on. And, of course, and they, they, they produced them since until uh, 1924, so they had a bunch of them around. And then, of course, when they weren't looking one day, whoops, one arrived in Jordan. Yep. It yeah. just showed up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And now yeah. it's in the museum. And now it's at the museum. And we're doing replicas, so we use them for heritage events and, um, you know, for, for shows. What's the most surprising item in your collection? Um... Uh, a recent arrival, uh, to, to be honest. Uh, the collection is not about expensive cars, but the collection is about events and history. So, one, so we fo- we actually found just a few couple of months ago the first car that King Hussein ever owned, a 1952 Rover, a small measly, a little British car, a, a little British car of no automotive. Where did uh, you, where did you find it? Uh, there is a guy who owned <laughs> it. There is a guy who mm-hmm. owned it in England who knew someone who, who knew, knew somebody us, else who knew us. So they called and said, "I have King Hussein's first ever car," and we checked it, and then uh, lo and behold, it is. And it is what kind, also, of, what kind of condition was it? In? It was restored. It was in excellent condition. And uh, in his book, uh, "Uneasy Lies the Head," uh, he refers to the car. So, so we got it. So that's the first car that King Hussein ever had. And we also have the last car he ever ridden in, which is the, the 600 Pullman, the Mercedes, which everyone in Jordan practically st- stood, stood in line on the sidewalks and to see him come in when he was very, very sick and a few yes. weeks before he passed away. But that was a car he also drove. He used to drive that car uh, on, on many occasions. We're talking to Raja Gargour of the, uh, of the Royal Automobile Museum. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. Joining me now, I'm honored to have with us Her Excellency Lena Anab, who's the Minister of Tourism of Jordan. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Now, you come from the private sector. I do. So you come from a history of being in the hotel business. I know that. Correct. Um, you've seen the ups and downs. Absolutely. And, and many downs. Uh-huh. Right? So what is your biggest challenge? Uh, because th- the good news is, I remember when I first came here, uh, tourism was almost flatlined. Mm-hmm. So the only way you could go was up. It couldn't get any worse. Yeah. Now, things are better than they were when I first came here, mm-hmm. but they're not great. So what is your challenge as a minister of tourism? Because your job, of course, is to promote tourism, to sell Jordan to the world. My job is not that. My job is to just present where I happen to be, right? Yeah. But what's your biggest challenge? Peter, my, our biggest challenge is really delivering the message that you just delivered, that life is normal here. Yes, we are in, a, uh, in, a, in, a, in an area where there is term oil. However, the term oil is 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 in the area, not in Jordan. And uh, the li- life in Jordan is, is normal, is, is even more than normal, it's fun. There's a lot to do in Jordan. There is, um, uh, it's, not, it's not what people think. So the challenge really is to break the stereotypes that have been built uh, about our country. Give me a stereotype. Uh, fear, you said it. 
people being afraid to come here uh, and not knowing exactly why they are afraid, um, only to know that there is not that life is even probably more normal than any uh, country perceived as being uh, very safe uh, for 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 many people. So, um, I think our biggest challenge today is is trying to deliver the message that Jordan is not only um, uh, life is go going on as, as business as usual, it's also, it's a lot of fun to be in Jordan. There are, there are so many, as you say, hidden gems in Jordan. Um, uh, I tell you, I, I, uh, I, it will be very difficult to uh, name the activities that one can do in Jordan because of the diversity of the product that we have. People think of us as desert, and yes, we are a desert. We have a beautiful desert. You know, when I, when I came here with His Majesty, and we did our special on the royal tour, he took me whitewater rafting exactly. in Jordan. Who knew about Majimudib? Majimujib. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we have we have we have canyons in Jordan, we have caving in Jordan, we have we have forests in Jordan, we have we have a trail, we have a national trail, uh, a six hundred and fifty kilometer long that stretches from the nor northernmost of the country to the to the to the south, and it's uh, it's as good as as the best trails in the world. Um, we we really within 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 a very short uh, span of of space, one can uh, experience eight biospheres. Imagine um, there is so much to do. It's just incredible uh, that people have not really uh, 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 caught on to the amount of fun that they are missing out. Uh, what you mentioned earlier, I, I caught on to it. It reminds me of the political campaign in America now, that there's a great segment of the population that's angry but can't tell you why. And when it comes to travel, there's a great segment of the population that is fearful, but they can't tell you why. Absolutely. I, I, I think this is the impact of the media. And if we are to talk about challenges or about what we need to do, we probably need to go out in the media at the same, the, and, 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 and show people what, what is going on in Jordan. And that is a lot of entertainment, a lot of concerts, a lot of festivals, uh, people hiking. I was just this weekend in Petra. I tell you the amount of people I saw from India, from Spain, from France, uh, Americans, people are coming. They are not coming in the numbers we'd like to see them but but i think today we have what you call the immersive travelers they are geopolitically aware they are culturally aware they realize that uh, they want uh, an authentic experience absolutely and they are educated they, they they understand if there's a problem in a neighboring country it does not mean that the problems are in the country itself and by the way you mentioned petra i've probably gone 30 times how much have i actually seen I've just scratched the surface. Absolutely. Uh, Petra, you need at least at least two to three weeks to say that you have covered enough of Petra. Although if, you're, if you've not gone to Petra before, and for those of you who haven't seen it, you actually have. It's called Indiana Jones. <laughs> it was the Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's the treasury building when you come down that gorge. Yeah. But I want to tell you that the best way to see it is don't go to bed and at 4.30 in the morning, work it out to go down there in the dark as you go down that gorge, as the sun is starting to come up and that light hits that building, right. it's nothing like that anywhere in the world. Nowhere, nowhere. Yeah. And, and you know, in Petra today, there are about 13 trails that have been developed. And each trail tells a story. And each trail has, 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 has a historical and cultural significance. Those enough, those by themselves need at least at least two to three weeks to cover. So, uh, it means uh, nobody's going to really take two or three weeks. So come once, keep coming back. Absolutely. And yeah. you know, one of, one of the trails in Petra, 
that's uh, it's from Petra to uh, as we call it Dana. It ha it was rated by National Geographic as one of the best 16 tra 16 trails in the world, and that's 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 in Petra. So uh, I, I, it's uh, it's waiting for people to come and explore it. And believe me, uh, people who are not coming here are missing out on a lot of fun. <laughs> I think you've had some fun. Oh, yeah, I'm having fun. <laughs> Lena Anab, the Minister of Tourism here in Jordan. Hey, thanks for coming. For coming oh. back to the show. Riding along in my automobile. My baby beside me at the wheel. Cruising and playing the radio. With no particular place to go. We're honored to have on the show uh, Her Royal Highness, Prince Aliyah, Princess Aliyah. Uh, and I welcome you to the show because one of the things that we were able to do yesterday was to visit you at your new sanctuary. Yes. Um, and what people don't realize, and I mentioned this earlier in the show when we were talking to Akka Boltaji, is that as small a country as Jordan is, it's still sort of a, a conduit for theft of animals, smuggling of animals. Yes. And uh, I know this was not what you woke up to do a couple of years ago, correct? Correct. Tell me how you started the foundation and what you're doing with the sanctuary. Uh, well, the foundation's a very long story, actually. We'd started, uh, I, I, over the years, I've been trying to work in various uh, groups that help in various ways. But uh, I was trying to really focus on um, slaughter, slaughterhouse reform. Uh, and then um, through a friend, uh, an Australian animal activist friend, she suggested doing a foundation uh, for animal welfare. And I said, there's so many things. And I sincerely believe that everything is linked. So, and, and having worked with various groups that work with specific targets, uh, animals, children, whatever, often um, there are other issues you want to address that you can't if it's, if it's very specific. So we gave ourselves a very wide mandate, which is compassion and respect for all creation. And that so way that means you could adopt me. <laughs> <laughs> might, be, might be more than I could deal with. <laughs> I think we'll need a bigger cage. <laughs> no, but I mean, as everything is very much linked, we wanted to be able to uh, have the, you know, the, the ability to respond in, in any, uh, any uh, aspect that was needed. And we were uh, uh, quickly noticed that uh, um, the animal trade, the illegal animal trade, um, and, and wildlife especially, is, is, is uh, as you say, Jordan is a conduit. Uh, but isn't it interesting that most of the focus in the world is not here, it's in Africa. Yes. Um, because of poaching. Um, for, and we just had the situation in, in Kenya where they burned yes. uh, all the tusks that mm. were seized. Um, and because there's such a market for it. And, yes. it's, and it still continues, either as an art piece or an aphrodisiac or, or a perceived aphrodisiac. Mm. And animals are getting slaughtered, I mean, every hour. Yes, indeed. Here, it's, it's, it's not as much slaughtered as it's just stolen, right? Uh, stolen, uh, I mean, the local ones get stolen. Your pets are always uh, being stolen. It's a huge problem. Um, but we are also uh, on, the, on the trade route between, you know, uh, smuggling from the east to, to the west and, and, and to the Gulf and, and people who want exotic pets, etc. So a lot of the ones from Africa do end up here. And, and you learned that. You didn't know that at the beginning. No, we didn't know that. We weren't aware at all. We knew that there were a few in zoos, and we weren't quite sure how they'd got in, because, again, it's not legal to, you know, uh, to import them. And specifically, the local wildlife... Wait, wait, wait. Let me stop a second. Isn't that interesting? It's not legal to import them, and yet they're showing up in zoos. Yes. 
We have no idea how they got there, yes. but here they are. Look at the lion. Uh, I mean, a lot of times there'd be people smuggling them, as we discovered, you know, soon after we set up the center to try and be a solution, because when they're confiscated, there was nowhere to actually send these animals. So the authorities would confiscate them, but not they, know what to and, do with them. And now they're housing them, but they don't know what they're doing. Yes. So the, so knock, we, the knock came on your door. Yes, we, we tried to be a solution, and we soon, we had a very small, actually it was a, 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 an old abandoned farm that we quickly uh, turned around, actually with the help of, uh, of, of the municipality, to receive some wild animals that were coming through uh, the following week. Uh, we managed to house those. But and that we, was really a temporary solution. Absolutely. And so then we were looking for a, a regional solution, in fact. Uh, there are sanctuaries in South Africa and in, in, other, in many other countries of the world, but they're all becoming full. So to be a solution for, the, for this region uh, was really, uh, we hope to go a good target. And... We've actually, since we, we were able to set it up, even before we set up the large sanctuary, we've had calls from other countries in this area saying we have this and we have that and can you take it? Well, speaking of other countries in the area, we were all witness to the terrible decimation of the zoo in Baghdad. Yes. Right? Which I don't think they've ever been able to fix. No. And most of those animals sadly didn't survive. Yes. Very likely. I know. Uh, as we talked about earlier in the show, Jordan as a safe haven for so many refugees now we have animal refugees. <laughs> yes, yes. Right? Yes. So you, you, you took over this land. What did you do? Uh, we were actually uh, leased it sort of uh, from the uh, Ministry of Environment because it's also a, a very beautiful forest area which was being uh, suffering from deforestation. So it's a protection of the forest and the natural, uh, the natural habitat there and then trying to make it into a sanctuary rather than a zoo for animals because... Uh, they can. They, they, it, it's not their natural home, possibly. I mean, lions don't actually. <laughs> there aren't many in this region now, but uh, to try and have them in in much better circumstances, so they're out there in, in nature, and it would actually be uh, an education point, a tourism point. It's a very poor area, also. So hopefully, it'll encourage tourism, uh, job opportunities for the people in the region, education. It's quite uh, close to the University of Science and Technology, which trains our vets, also. So and. Since we started this, we've been able to train a couple of vets, and they're the first Arab wildlife vets, I think, in the region, which is also... Pretty good. <laughs> yes. We're talking with Her Royal Highness Princess uh, Leah bin al-Hussein, uh, and the name of the sanctuary is? Uh, well, Al-Ma'wa, which means the sanctuary in Arabic. Uh, the, the, the smaller initial one was called New Hope, uh, after a lion cub that we rescued that we called Hope. Uh, so New Hope is where they're prepared and sort of uh, uh, rehabilitated, shall we say. The wildlife that is indigenous and, and fit to be released, we release. And the other ones, we keep there or we send up to Al-Ma'wa. And you're still in the process of developing and building. Yes. Uh, when are you actually going to open open? We're hoping to open in the spring. We were hoping to open two years ago, but, uh, you know, as with most projects and builders and uh, so on, it takes a lot longer than one expected. But you already have animals there. We do indeed, yes. We moved them last week. Okay. Tell me who's in residence. Uh, in residence is a pride of five lions. Uh, two of them were, uh, uh, we received as literally days old. The other three were younger, uh, older cubs, but also they, those were the result of smuggling. Uh, and two other lions which were evacuated from Reza uh, uh, when the zoo there appealed to Four Paws to help them, Four Paws International to help them. They brought them here. Uh, and so we're, though those two have moved also to adult lions. Now you even have a Syrian brown bear. A Syrian brown bear and, uh, and two tigers, which also were caught smuggling um, as, as a result of smuggling. Well, let's talk about the tigers, then I'll get back to the bear. Yes. Where are the tigers from? The tigers. When you think coming... Jordan, you don't think tigers. No. Uh, again, there was some uh, wealthy businessman wanted to build a house here and have them in his garden. You know, so, you're serious. But they were being smuggled through. Yes. 
They, okay. came, they came from Saudi Arabia. Okay, here's my stupid question. Jordan is a pretty small country. Yes. I think, having come here all these years, everybody sort of knows what everybody else is doing, right? How do you hide a tiger? Well, these animals, they tend to put them in literally cat cages, you know, and, and, and give them to someone, and someone not very wealthy, possibly a student or someone, you know, here's $200, you know, can you just deliver this to so-and-so? And they don't necessarily even know what they've got with them. And so it's very much up to the people at the borders to, uh, to be very vigilant and find them. We had four lion cubs that arrived in two tiny cat crates and really squashed, you know, and very upset and angry, obviously. It's amazing the way that people do find to smuggle these creatures. You know, it's interesting. The laws are in this region, not yes. just Jordan, have always fascinated me. For example, in Kuwait, it's illegal to import a satellite dish, but not illegal to have one. Mm. So as long as they don't catch you bringing it in, it just showed up and here it is. Yes. Same thing with the animals in a way. Well, with the animals it is, but once they're there, it's quite difficult. Again, then there's the, well, if you're going to cordon off the zoo or the pet shop or whatever, the animals in the meantime will starve because it'll, you know, access is denied. And it's always very complicated to get around that. So when they're actually caught by the authorities and delivered to us, it's much easier. But of course, the poor guy who was the one carrying them in, probably not even knowing what he had, is usually the one who gets into trouble rather than the people behind it. But there's also an educational learning experience here on your end because how do you take care of a tiger? You need to know, first of all, this is not their natural habitat, no. and yet this is where their sanctuary is going to be. Yeah, it's been a huge learning curve, like I, I said, and the, when we first had them, uh, we were just really honored to be on first name terms with these with these creatures. But uh, as you say, you know, especially the, the, the big cats, when they're taken away too young from their parents, they do suffer enormously and they are compromised. So you have to give them special uh, uh, food, nutrition and, and calcium. And, and we're, we've, we're still learning. Hello, uh, this is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. Peter, you know, I'm a big fan of talking to the locals. I'm a big fan of finding American expats who actually know what they're talking about, who love the country in which they're living in. And my next guest qualifies under both categories. Um, and in the interest of uh, full disclosure, I, I actually consider her my surrogate mother, in, in Jordan every time I, I come. She's done so much here. She, she moved here when she was 22. She's been an American expat for years. She's the author of children's books. She's been on the, on the board of the Petra National Trust. Uh, I mean, if you want to know anything that's going on in Jordan, the person to talk to is Karen Asfor. How are you, Karen? Fine, thank you, Peter. How is it being an American expat in, in Jordan? Well, I've been one for so long. Uh, you can do your math if you want to, but I've been here for 53 years, and I came when I was 22. So that kind of tells you how long I've been here. Um, <clears throat> it's been a great ride. I came, and the country was small, and Amman was small, and it was quiet, and, and then I've seen it grow, and I've seen so many different things happen while I've been here. So. Well, you, you've seen the conflicts. You've seen the solutions or the possible solutions. That's right. You've seen the boundaries change. You've seen the borders been re redirected, redrawn. 
That's right. You seen have you seen a lot of people displaced? That's true. Yes, I have. And you're still here. I'm still here because it's it's my home. I've lived here uh, for so long that it's it's where I've raised my children. It's I consider myself a Jordanian. I am all, of course I'm also American, but uh, I have dual nationality and Jordan is important to me. Uh, the politics of here here are important. The the life is important. Everything about this country is important to me. Well, you've heard me say earlier in the show that so many of my friends, when they hear I'm coming to Jordan, go, oh, be careful, be safe, are you crazy? I'm sure you hear the same thing from friends of yours in the States. Yes, I do. And I have to tell you, this is a true thing. I have never, ever been afraid for myself in this country. I would not hesitate to walk down a street at 2 o'clock in the morning, and it would not occur to me that I should be afraid. I have had only positive experiences with with uh, the population, with the people here, and to me, it's it's as safe as any place I could possibly live. And you're also the author of a few children's books. Yes, I am. I, I've written three children's books. I wrote them in English, and then my husband transcribed them in Arabic. And they're all um, to do with the environment. I am a bit of a passionate about litter, the litter issue in Jordan, and I'm very distressed about it. So I wrote three books that are giving messages to children, uh, anti-litter messages to children. Hopefully they pass it on to their their parents and to the population here so we can clean the country up. And what are the names of the books? I have Anza Alaziza Cleans Up Petra. <laughs> I have Anza Alaziza Protects the Forest. And I have Anza Azizi and her zero footprint print lesson. Uh, Anze is, means goat in Arabic, and Aziza means precious, so it's like a precious goat. And um, so she's giving lessons about how to clean up, uh, keep your country clean. Now, as someone who's been here since she was 22, you're the perfect person to ask this. Give me the place where you like to go to dinner that's not in the brochure, that's not in the guidebook, that is like your favorite place in Amman? I have great favorite places in Amman, but I have a very favorite place that's down toward the toward Aqaba. I actually, I love Aqaba, but I love uh, the Echo Lodge in Fanan. And that's one of my very favorite places that I like to go to. And why? And why? Because it is, it is so special. Um, they've tried to do everything there so environmentally um, green, and it's quiet, and it's an adventure to get there because the road is terrible, and you have to go in a four-wheel drive, and, you're, and you jiggle yourself to death, but it's so worth it when you get there because there's no electricity, and um, they use only solar, and so it's quiet and peaceful and... Sounds like a great place to write a book. It's it's a great place. I, I need to do one on uh, yeah, I think I, I think I need to do one on Finan. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Now I radio clearance over. That's Clarence over. Over. Roger. Huh? I remember a good twenty years ago hearing about locations throughout Jordan 
that attempts were made to preserve them as natural preserves, uh, nature areas um, untouched by crazy development. And then about 10 or 12 years ago, I actually went to one in Dana, in the reserve there, uh, and they were really trying to figure out a way, way before we came up with the buzzwords of sustainable and the buzzwords of green or carbon footprint, and now they, I think they've done it. They've come up with something called the Feynan Eco Lodge. And joining me now, uh, the guy who runs it, uh, Nabil Tarazi. How, Nabil? Hi, Peter. I mean, bottom line is, you heard, you heard the terms I used. Yes, yes, I have, of course. Which are often misleading. Uh, people tend to define them in ways that only benefit them and as opposed to the bigger picture. So define for me, if you can, what your Eco Lodge is doing that, uh, that, are, that other people aren't. I'll tell you what's unique about we ha uh, what we have. We have a lodge, which is a hotel in the middle of nowhere in a nature reserve called Dana, and it has an ethos that is very unique, different from anywhere else. And the ethos stands on four pillars. The first one is to offer guests unique and authentic experiences tied to nature, the history, the environment that we are in. The second one is to contribute to conservation work. The third one is to benefit the local community. And the fourth, to do it all with a minimal impact on the environment. Well, you said the third one, which is always gets my attention, the benefit of the local community. Because yes. so many places will tell you they're doing a great job, but the money never gets back to the people who need it the most. At Finan, it's very different. 55% actually of what the guest pays stays in the immediate local community. I'm not talking about in Jordan. I'm talking about the community of Finan. Basically, all the employees are local staff. All the services that we get come from the local community. We have women that break bread out of their own goat hair tents that serve the lodge. We do experiences to take the guests to the home of the local communities. And they're effectively goat hair tents. And we do experiences there, how to make bread, how to do the coffee, how to do the makeup, all these things. And all the benefit that we collect from the guests goes to the community member who's providing that experience. So they can easily connect the dots and follow the money. Yes, very true. I mean, at, at the lodge, we have 80 families, around 400 people that benefit directly from the existence of that lodge in this location. Wow. And how long did it take you to put this together? We did not do it ourselves. The lodge was done by an NGO in Jordan called the Royal Society for the Conservation of Nature. Jordan is very unique in the sense that it's a conservation organization that handles all the nature reserves. They built the lodge in 2005. The company that I operate, Eco Hotels, we took over the management in 2009, and we turned it from a property that was a very environmentally friendly property to a destination. We created awareness, we created the experiences that are offered by the place, we made it much more green than before, and became a destination for people who want something very unique and different in Jordan. And what, what can I do there that I can't do anywhere else? It's, it's the whole experience at Finan is, has, has, has a lot for everybody. It starts from arriving at the lodge. You arrive at the lodge during the daytime, you see this unique building in the middle of nowhere, literally in the middle of now, nowhere. Now, you say it's the middle of nowhere. Give me a sense of place. We're in Amman. So how long does it take us to get there? Two and a half hours by on, road. On rugged road. No, no, two and a half hours on, on regular, regular road. road. And then... And then the last half an hour is off-road. It's sheer terror. <laughs> <laughs> it's not terror. It's an off-road to get to the lodge so that it's very remote. And the beauty about it, we have a sunset hike, spectacular sunset hike overlooking Wadi Araba, which is in the south of Jordan. We have stargazing. The lodge is totally off the grid. We generate our electricity using the sun. So we only have electricity lights in the bathrooms. Aside from that, it's all candlelit. So you go on the rooftop terrace after dinner, and you have a spectacular sky with no artificial light pollution around you. 
The next day, there are lots of experiences that you can do from hikes to experiences with the local community, to doing a cooking class at the lodge, or getting the chef of the lodge do a cooking demonstration, show you how to cook things. So it's a very different experiences that you can do, or you can just go and sit and chill out, relax. You're literally in the middle of nowhere, and quiet. But, but there's wildlife. There is limited wildlife. Part of the problem with Jordan is the NGO that I was talking about, the Royal Society for the Conservation of Nature, was started by ex-hunters. They found out that they hunted most of what existed in Jordan. Whoops. So they started conserving. So the reserve where we are, you might be able to see ibex. I know. I've seen the see, ibex, yeah. yeah. So you will see these things, but it's not this massive wildlife that you would get in Africa. That's the problem that we have in Jordan. But the NGO is re restoring and bringing back, reintroducing some of the wildlife that existed in the reserve. So it's a, a continuing process. Great. And if you can survive the last half hour on the road, then you get to chill out. Yeah, the, the half hour is not bad, actually. You know, it's a fun ride. We use the local community to provide the shuttle service to benefit the local community. So you're in this beat up pickup. Most <laughs> of the guests decide not to sit inside the pickup. They will go in the back because it's very fun. They stand they up, they stand up. They stand up, sit down, whatever they want. And, and the hold on, and hold on. Yeah, you hold on, but it's not too bad. It's not as bad as you make it sound to be. It's an adventure. It is an adventure. Okay, you, you agree with that? I agree with you 100%. Okay, good. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. In this election year, uh, all eyes are glued to the television sets, in America at least, to watch the circus <laughs> known as uh, our presidential campaign. Uh, Saturday Night Live wakes up every morning, the cast, thanking the candidates for giving them such material that they could never get on their own. Uh, every comedian is <laughs> just falling over laughing, as we are as well. And it's also quite disturbing, too. And, the, and all that humor comes, comes out of a lot of angst and stress and, and uh, well, basically depression. Um, but ha being that as it may, here we are in Jordan, and there's comedy here, too. Yeah, um, There's comedy here, too. In fact, the Arab world's first ever comedy in both English and Arabic, yeah. political satire, right? Exactly. It, it's social and political, yeah. And like the person on that other end of the microphone is Faris Haradin, who's the... Uh, the co-star of a show called My American Neighbor. Yes. Tell me the premise. Okay, the premise is this. Uh, we have this uh, wonderful American guy. His name is Brett Weir. Uh, he, he lived in, in Jordan since uh, 2007. And uh, he loved the country. And uh, we became really good friends uh, through comedy, along with another guy. Now, what's really unique about this, uh, this relationship is that I'm a Jordanian Catholic, and he's a, an American Protestant. And the third guy is the, the, the Muslim guy, uh, our friend Nadir Khawalde. So actually, uh, you know, religion has its toll in this region. And it's really unique how we were able to, to deliver a message of, of peace making and how uh, reconciliation and throughout the project, throughout the whole project. Yeah. And uh, what else? Uh, I'm, I'm really, really, I'm really excited to be here and uh, I'm honored to meet you personally. Oh, and vice versa. I, yeah. what, what's interesting though is you wouldn't think in certain countries that political satire would not have consequences. Of you know, you, you make fun of certain governments in certain countries, you're not on the air very long. 
that's that's really true but uh, but really the the atmosphere here uh, we have we, we i mean the the whole theme started uh, like more than 10 to, uh, 15 years ago and that was uh, by uh, the uh, two guys one guy his name is nabil sawalha and the other guy his name is hisham yanas both uh, they established this type of art satire well they'll they'll be impersonating uh, different political figures Okay. Now, speaking about my American neighbor, uh, the, 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 the whole idea is that Brett was living uh, between, uh, uh, I mean, Arab friends, and it was uh, the, the, the comedy will be from the cultural differences. For example, if you're in Jordan and someone uh, tells you, uh, that's a nice watch, okay, the first thing you say to him, which means you can take it. You can take it. Okay, but that's actually not really uh, a genuine you can take it. <laughs> it's just like it's a social thing, but in in, in the series we see that Abu Trad. I'm playing Abu Trad. Is he's a guy. He's a, a, a bit grumpy and he's in his late 40s, early 50s. So when he said you can take it, and then Ricky, who is Brett here, the American guy, he said, Oh really? Thank you, thank you. And then he takes the watch, and uh, here the conflict uh, starts. You know what I mean? And uh, we have a lot of uh, stuff that that goes. In between, between the, the, these these uh, but, this, this family, yeah. but the comedy is about local Jordanian politics too. Uh, it has uh, some implications, like for example, uh, Abu Trad uh, will will show uh, that's that that part in the Arab world where uh, he's. Um, you know, uh, as, as in, uh, I mean, a lot of Jordanians, some they, they believe that any, they have some some hostile uh, emotions towards the states. And uh, that's because of the, the, the foreign policy, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and uh, he, he, he will speak that in the show, but in a funny way, because at the end of the day, uh, we will see that they get along a lot and they're all the time they're together. The, and what about the royal family? Can you, can you talk about them at all? The, to be honest, no. <laughs> no, we don't. Not a good idea. <laughs> it's it's maybe, probably it's not the best idea, but well, it depends how. Because the late, the, the late uh, play which I participated in was Sarha uh, Rabraiha. And actually there's a guy who, uh, who impersonate, uh, he impersonated the king. So he was, and, and, and he's still alive. Uh, oh, he's, he's still. Alive. Oh, okay, just double checking. <laughs> yeah, he's still the name alive. of your show, though, is "My American Neighbor." It's both in Arabic and English. And English, yeah. That's very, very cool. I'm looking forward to seeing it. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. 
I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus.